Moses, of course, was also known as the one who brought us the law. God gave him the Ten Commandments and other laws that followed that were brought to the Israelites through Moses' leadership. So Moses has a special uh, mystique when it comes to uh, uh, who he was in our faith and also we know that actors have portrayed him on the big screen uh, much to our delight. In fact, I want to share a story this morning about Moses as we get into this particular text this morning. And this story comes from Henderson, Texas, my very first appointment. And at my very first appointment at First United Methodist Church in Henderson, Texas, I know the Rosses were there. Uh, They remember a man who was the custodian at the church named Jesse Charvis. Now, Jesse had been at the church longer than any of us who were on staff at the time. He knew his way around the building. And he used to help all of the young pastors out, especially this one. Tom was on staff there once upon a time. And you need to know this about Jesse. He was totally deaf. And he'd gone deaf due to a degenerative nerve condition. But he could communicate quite well. In fact, he spoke very clearly and very loud and at a very high pitch when he spoke. And his deafness did not deter him in any way in speaking to us. However, in communicating to Jesse, we had to do it via writing. And sometimes uh, he could read our lips, but um, it was best just to write out everything and you could have a wonderful conversation with Jesse. Now, uh, Jesse also loved to talk politics, and this was in the 1980s, right? This was the day of, of uh, Ronald Reagan and, and uh, the first George Bush, and, and, and I remember an event that happened while I was a pastor, an associate pastor there in Henderson in the mid-80s. Uh, Jesse Charvis' favorite politician, Jesse Jackson, was coming to Tyler. And I knew that Jesse loved Jesse Jackson. It was not only that they shared a name, but there was a lot of, of mutual respect there. Now, I know we may not have a lot of Jesse Jackson fans in the congregation today, but Jesse Charvis loved Jesse Jackson. And so when I heard that Jesse was coming to Tyler to the oil palace, I thought this would be a perfect opportunity for Jesse to see one of his heroes. And I asked Jesse if he'd like to go and see uh, Jesse Jackson. And he said, of course he would. Now, what you need to know, at this time in my life, I drove a 1952 fully restored Ford pickup that was gorgeous. I'd restored it carnival red. And everybody in town could see me coming because I had the only 1952 carnival red pickup in Henderson. Now, the pickup did have a couple of drawbacks. It didn't have air conditioning. And you had to roll the windows down in order to get any air circulating. So it was quite loud from both the engine and the wind noise. And I guess the biggest drawback was it wasn't the easiest thing to drive because uh, it had no power steering. So when you drove it, you had to really manhandle it. I had pretty big biceps back then because of the truck. Now, I realized shortly in our trip, 25-mile trip to Tyler with Jesse, that I was um, at a severe disadvantage. 
There was no way I could write any note to Jesse to communicate because I had my hands full. And, and Jesse sensed um, in the midst of our drive, shortly into our drive, that it was a bit awkward. It was a silent trip, silent except for the fact that the wind was rushing through the cab and the engine was roaring. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, Jesse broke the silence. And he said to me, do you like Charlton Heston? I said, yes, I love Charlton Heston. He could understand. And he said, I love him too. Do you like the Ten Commandments? I love the Ten Commandments. One of my favorites. Jesse said, I love the Ten Commandments too. And then he said, you know in the Ten Commandments when Charlton Heston holds that big stick up in the Red Sea parts? I said, yes, I know that scene. He said, the real Moses couldn't have done any better. <laughs> you know, I've thought about that story for years and years, about that fun trip we had to Thailand. But I also have thought about how Charlton Heston was also one of Jesse's real heroes and how Charlton Heston rode to Jesse's um, delight on the coattails of Moses. Now today we're going to also talk about Moses. We're going to talk about Moses as this priestly pastor leader type to the people and how last week we read about how um, the people were complaining, they were murmuring and today we're going to pick up right there Last week they were murmuring about not having any meat and God had given them manna from heaven but no meat. And so today we pick up with God providing the meat. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Exodus the 16th chapter. Beginning with the ninth verse. Then Moses said to Aaron... Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is this? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, I, I hope it's more than just we preacher types who relate to Moses and his murmuring. 
For Moses was a leader of the people and he had kind of had it up to here with the way they were complaining about not any meat. And God too had had it up to here and so God delivers uh, to the people the meat in the form of quail. Now, I heard a story not long ago about a pastor, kind of in the Moses tradition, uh, who was visiting a gentleman in the congregation, an older man, who had a reputation of being quite a murmurer, if you will. And it was coming up on Father's Day, and so the pastor thought, well, this will be a perfect visit. It's not always uh, a fun visit to make, but I'm going to see him anyway. And so he went to see the older man, and The man said shortly into the visit, I'm sorry if I feel a little down today. He felt down nearly every day. But today, he said, I feel down because I have a tremendous headache. And then he began his litany to the pastor. Well, the neighbor's children are so noisy, I can't take a nap during the day. And they're noisy into the evening. About 6 o'clock when I go to bed, they're still making noise and I can't sleep. The pastor shook his head. He, he said he understood. And then the man said, you know, and, and the people at the church seem to have forgotten me. Well, nobody ever visits me except for, yeah, I did have a visit last week and the week before that, but not too many visits. No one hardly ever comes to see me from the church. The pastor apologized for that. And then he said, well, my arthritis, you know, is pretty bad. I don't get out as much said uh, it's actually um, to the point that, that when this horrible weather sets in, I just don't feel like moving around at all. And then it was one complaint after the other, after the other, and for nearly an hour this conversation went on until finally the man said, you know what, preacher, talking to you, I don't have a headache anymore. And the preacher said, well, you've given it to me. as we discussed last week this is kind of the way Moses is and the way uh, we preachers can get from time to time I mean uh, Moses is complaining remember what he said last week he said God why did you give me these people Uh, why don't you just kill me do me a favor kill me and today we pick up right there still murmuring the people murmuring the preacher murmuring everybody's murmuring they're in the wilderness They've been lost for 40 years. They're looking for a new homeland. It doesn't seem like they'll ever find it. They've forgotten about the fact that the Passover had passed over them and the plagues that killed so many people in Egypt didn't harm them. They forgot about Moses and the big stick and the waters parting and them walking through and the Egyptians not having that great luck. They grumbled. It was as if they were saying, what has God done for me today? You know, the ironic thing is that often it's people who have the least to complain about who find themselves to be the worst murmurers. And, And there's something about when we have so much, we feel like we deserve more. The old adage, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. John Galsworthy once described uh, us when we get into this murmuring fit as being people who build dungeons in the air. 
I love that. You know, I've known people like this. Haven't you known people like this? In fact, I know one person real well like this. It's me. Now, I'm going to confess here before everybody, Tom, that I am a murmurer. Did you say you knew that? (laughs) And I, too, find myself complaining too much about too little. And I hope that if you um, today uh, could confess to a little bit of murmuring, that you, too, will follow suit and realize a good day to confess. But what is the hope for those of us who are murmurers? How can change happen to we who are grumblers? And is there any cure for our complaining? Today I want to talk in terms, maybe not just to the fathers, maybe to all of us, but especially on this Father's Day, I hope that we will um, take note of what I would call a cure to the syndrome of murmuring. And first, I would say that the most important thing that we could possibly do if we want to get to a different place regarding our attitude is that we need to confess that sometimes we are the ones who are petty. Sometimes it's we who have much who seem to want more. Sometimes it's actually we who ask the question, God, what have you done for me lately? And I've been thinking a lot in terms of of, of this grumbling, mumbling, murmuring kind of aspect and remembering my grandmother sitting on that piano bench in her home and the lesson she was trying to teach me at an early murmuring age when she would play that old hymn, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done, count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. You know, it doesn't hurt any of us, any time, even daily if it fits, to go ahead and confess our pettiness about our own murmuring. And really the point of the text this morning brings me to the second point that I I think is so very important for us to remember, and that is to acknowledge God's provisions. It goes right back to the old song, to, to count our blessings, to acknowledge what God has done for us, the best remedy, the best cure to the murmuring syndrome. You know, the people that Moses was addressing, his people, the people he was leading, God had provided manna for them, manna in the wilderness. It was was God who brought that manna down. It was like dew that fell in the morning and they could make it into a a, a cake and it was uh, sticky and solid and nutritious, but it wasn't enough. They wanted meat. And God in the story again provides the meat in the form of the quail who came and We're told that flocks of quail and other birds trying to make it from the Red Sea to the Sinai Peninsula often fall exhausted and they're very easy to catch. And this must have been what was going on there when the children of Israel had so many quail, so much meat to eat that God had provided. 
And we can also remember the story about how God also made uh, water come out of a stone when their need was for drinking water. It was Moses and that stick again. He struck the stone and the water poured forth for the people. So when we look at what God had done for the children of Israel, you ask the question, well, why on earth could they possibly murmur when God had provided so much? But we know how we are sometimes. I would imagine there were those in the midst of the children of Israel who could make some sort of explanation about how all of this had happened and God had very little to do with it. Oh, manna falls, that's quite natural. The birds fly, they get tired. That's the way things go here. Uh, or the water, of course, these porous rocks, sometimes they can produce water. But the bottom line was, and what Moses was trying to point them toward, was that the God who, um, who had heard their murmuring responded, and God provided. But what we need to realize is that God would provide whether they murmured or not. That God is the one who always provides for his children. Sometimes we as the children of God don't stop long enough to acknowledge those blessings. To acknowledge that provision. But if we do stop long enough, we see when we do look back, we see how God has had his hand. How God has moved through his spirit to bring us blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Thank you. You know, our God is a giving God, and that's the first thing we need to acknowledge, that God has given all and God will give all, and our God is a giving God and deserves our gratitude attitude. Deserves a thanksgiving for what God has done, a counting of those blessings, and a thanksgiving for all that God bestows upon us. So this morning, the cure to our murmuring may very well start with our confession of our own pettiness and an understanding of what God has provided and then a thanksgiving to God in response to God's providence. You know, last week when we began this sermon series, we talked about the laying on of hands, right? How when we lay on hands in the Christian tradition, it's a word of, of, of transferring the Spirit of God to another. And we talked about the laying on of hands related to Scott and Reagan Gilliland who were ordained through the laying on of hands as elders in the United Methodist Church. But we also talked in terms of, of how... Um, the laying on of hands that we first experience as people uh, of faith is through our own baptism. It's the laying on of hands and through the symbol of water that we recognize who we are as children of God and filled with God's Spirit. Now in thinking about all of this, I thought about the most powerful experience of the laying on of hands in baptism that I have ever had in my life. It too happened when I was young, even before Henderson. It was in my own home church when I experienced the very first baptism that I was allowed to participate in, given that invitation 
by the pastor of the church, the Reverend Jim Bankston. You know, Jim, when he came to our church, he stayed about five years, and Jim was from the little town down uh, Highway 31 of Malakoff, and so he was in the same county, and so he knew the people well. He knew our ways. And Jim was a little more progressive than most people in town, I'll have to admit, more progressive theologically and more progressive socially, Uh, but we loved Jim. And so we let Jim be a little more liberal than the rest of us because we love Jim. And I remember one of the things Jim did that changed our congregation. This was in the late 1970s when Jim announced one day after talking to some of the leaders of the church that we in Chandler, Texas, we were going to host a Cambodian refugee family and and then in giving us some information about what that would mean he said well we need to know this these people are refugees they are coming from a horrible situation of war in their country and they're coming here and we're 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 going to understand that they're coming to us as people who are of the buddhist religion and we're not going to force our christian ways on them but what we are going to do is love them and, and what we're going to do is we're going to teach them the ways of, of, um, of um, life here in Chandler, Texas, in the United States. We're going to teach them the basics of language. We're going to teach them how to count money and, and uh, how to read and write. We're going to get them jobs. And, and he said, and, 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 and we're going to love them. Well, a few days later, into the little town of Chandler and into our United Methodist Church there came this family, the father of the family, Ping Tai, and his wife, Susive. And they had five daughters, and they were like stair-stepped daughters. There was one in her early 20s all the way down to little Tai Ping Tai, who was six years old. And people came out of the woodwork, not just from our church, but from other churches, to love on this family and and to volunteer in the afternoons to help them with those language skills and to help them inculturate, basically, into our society. They hadn't been there very long. Ping Tai and Susive and the older children had jobs. The younger children were in school. When Ping Tai said that he needed an interpreter brought in from Dallas because he wanted to discuss some matters, we'd already been halfway prepared for the fact that this family might not stay long with us because it would be very difficult for them in a little rural town and that they might want to transfer to the city where they would have other people who spoke their language and who knew their own cultures. So we were prepared. But when the interpreter came down and when Ping Tai started sharing his story, uh, that wasn't his issue at all. He had one question he wanted to ask of us at the United Methodist Church in Chandler, Texas. And the question was, why do you people love us the way you love us? 
Well, our pastor shared faith. He said, well, we're Christians. And and we follow a man named Jesus who called us to love as he had loved. And, And so we love in the spirit of our Lord Jesus. And then Ping Tai said he had a story he wanted to tell. And he told about how his family back in Cambodia had a nice farm. And during this period of war, that farm was burned. And the house was burned. And they were set afoot to flee to a refugee camp. How horrible it was. How the husband of the oldest daughter had been shot by the soldiers. How Noy, who didn't smile, one of the middle daughters, had her teeth pulled for the metal they contained. And then Ping Tai told about the youngest child in this family, the, the son of the oldest daughter, named after his grandfather, and how he starved to death on their run across their country. He wept when he told his story. And then he said, your love of us has been like God's providing. If this is what it means to be Christian, then I and my family want to become Christian. And our pastor shared the basics of our faith. How we confess our sin to a God who forgives us of our sin. This God who made that ultimate sacrifice and show of his love on a cross. And how resurrection is the hope that we have in our faith of of new life when this life is over. And, And he talked about baptism and the importance of baptism and the new life that we receive in the symbol of baptism. And Ping Tai said, then I and my family... We want to be baptized Sunday. That Sunday in that little church in East Texas, I'll never forget us all there at the altar rail. The congregation was full. And Ping Tai and Sue and their daughters like stair steps kneeling at the altar rail. And I, a young pastor-to-be, holding the little font as the pastor dipped his hand in the water and placed his hand on Ping Tai's head and said, Ping Tai, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I would put my hand on the pastor's hand as he baptized all the way down that kneeling rail. 
until he got to the little six-year-old. Tai Ping Tai. And she had her familiar grin from ear to ear. And when the pastor put his hand on her head and said, Tai Ping Tai, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, she said with a smile and a grin as big as you can believe, Thank you. And the congregation laughed. (laughs) It was funny. It was cute. Here we were in this holy moment, people fighting back tears, and we get to typing time, and we baptize her, and all she can say is, Thank you. And there might have been a skeptic or two in the crowd who might have said, well, that child didn't really understand what was going on. I mean, she doesn't hardly know any English words. And two of the ones she did know, she was just trying them out that day. Thank you. But the more I've thought about it through the years, the more I've come to believe that the most appropriate response that we, any of us, could make to our baptisms is to say thank you to God for all that God provides for us. To say thank you as loudly as we can. To say thank you with joy to overflowing in our hearts. When we think of the God who first loved us and chose us thank you is such an appropriate response you know I've I've thought about it the last several days and what's going on on our borders right now I don't have a political solution, and I certainly don't want to get in a political debate. But I have longed for a day of the past when churches, even in little bitty towns, were willing to say, let me help. They'll be welcome here. We'll do what we can in hopes that we can all be changed and can say to those who find life very painful right now, you're loved. You're loved in the name of our Lord Jesus who told us to love as he has loved us. May may we pray for our leaders. May we pray for those who are caught up in the pain of fleeing Honduras and maybe other places. May we pray that we will be a people who don't complain about things when there are other people who are dealing with life and death issues. That we can recognize the God who provides and can be thankful.
May we think and pray, pray fervently, that God will send an answer to our leaders. Amen.